Tonight, we covered three mysterious places that you've probably never heard of. And after our episode, you'll wonder why. On Newsworthy, two words and two question marks. scoured the podcast world and finally found us newsworthy with steve and jerry where we delve into all things mysterious macabre or out of this world and decide if they are truly newsworthy two words and two question marks why should you work with ed Locke? A better question is, why wouldn't you work with him? He is a proud to support an amazing lender, USA Mortgage. When you work with them, you can expect a home financing experience that is free of hassles and headaches. They have complete control over your loan due to in-house operations such as processing, underwriting, closing, and funding. USA Mortgage represents a lot of fantastic things but they are especially thrilled to partner in several community outreach programs, including Habitat for Humanity, Home Sweet Home, Veterans Community Project, and many, many more. They love going to work every day, which means they love working for you. Ed wants to be your lender for life, so reach out to him today and get the journey started. If you would like more information, please reach out to Edlock at area code 502 NMLS 448-908, USA Mortgage NMLS 227-262. USA Mortgage is an equal housing lender. This is not a commitment to lend. Additional terms and conditions may apply. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Hello, good evening, gentlemen. How's everyone doing? Jerry, Mr. Steve, and Brett. Doing great. Brett's doing good. Great. Been been avoiding the zoo lately. That's good. I, I've been away from the zoo. I've, you showered. That's nice. I, I, I appreciate smell that. A bit. I actually went to. Uh, I scheduled my uh, my back hair braiding for Tuesday, oh, not Wednesday. Goodness. Oh, that's good. So we, uh, we, back hair is looking great. Nice. We. Uh, we we appreciate that. Our listeners appreciate that. Yeah. Got a lot of good positive feedback about you. We've Brett. confused our listeners. Well, though that positive feedback is they must not listen to a bunch of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I listen. I, to, I listen to myself. And I'm like, why does anybody listen to this? <laughs> I don't. I I don't care how many they listen to. As long as they listen to us, like, share, <laughs> and subscribe. Absolutely. Do that. Yeah. We're talking about confusing our listeners. I'm a little confused. Oh. Maybe you guys can help explain this to me. Sure. I just figured out it is a five-minute walk from my house to the bar. Really? It is a 45-minute walk from the bar to my house. The difference is staggering. I'm going to need your help understanding this. That's good, Jerry. I like that. That was a good one. That was very good. That was very good. I've, I've seen that one before. That was a good one. Well, I don't know if you guys know. Well, 
for the people at home, our studio is completely full. We got all new stuff that's all not been put together yet. Stoked for all that. But that will happen soon. I, I'm glad I it just got delivered today because last night I got broke into. You did. They stole all of my limbo equipment. No. I mean, how, how low, low can you go? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Pretty low, apparently. <laughs> Speaking of criminals, I think my wife is, is a drug dealer. What? Really? Truly Truly? Is a drug no. dealer. No. Listen, I answered her phone, and this man said, is, this, is that dope still there? <laughs> Just truly listen to this. Oh, if she did, he wouldn't be here. <laughs> you need a place to spend the night, I'm just saying. I have a dog she house somewhere. I just, I, I just couldn't believe she was selling dope. Oh, yeah. Mm, mm. I bet she'd like to sell some dope sometimes. <laughs> you know what? I My bank really, account would love this for <laughs> I'm really surprised she had any inclination whatsoever to try to rescue you from the zoo. I mean, what a grand opportunity for her. I, well, you know what? Yeah, Very to true. rescue me because I'm such a good husband to her. No. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. She, she loves when I get my back hair braided. Well, yeah, I'm sure she does. That way it's not all, all shaggy. In the, <laughs> you know, she wakes up with it all, like, all up in her nose and stuff. Well, okay, now that we have grossed all of our listeners out. <laughs> I, I will say, I do not have back hair. Well, that's good. Yet. <laughs> I'm still hope. I'm praying. You're still shaving it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, at some point, the reaching behind you is going to get old, I'm just saying. <laughs> so, we got a cool show today, but before we, we get into so. it... um. I just want to apologize, first of all. If you've followed our show at all for very long, um, I had come down with a nasty case of the cancer. (laughs) Um, And had good days, had bad days. You know, we we persevered, we managed, and, you know, the outlook's very good. But uh, this last week has really challenged me. I'm preparing for my final, what I hope is my final dose of radiation. Particular type of cancer I have requires me to go on this special diet for a couple of weeks and not be on my medication. And without, you know, I don't have a thyroid anymore. So my hormones and my brain. Way out of balance. (laughs) Way out of balance this week. Not to mention the stress of all this weighing on you. Yeah. And so... If I sound a little spaced tonight, I assure you I'm not on drugs. A little out of <laughs> Truly sense. hasn't sold me any dope. Um, yet. yet. <laughs> but uh, um, I, my brain is big. Like today at work, I went to work, you know, I, I work at that, uh, the nonprofit, and I, I just told them, I'm like, I have to focus on one thing at a time today. And they're like, okay. Why? You know, like, because otherwise, I won't focus on anything. And, you know, you and I, and Brett, some, as, as a teacher, you're being a leader in the classroom. Anytime you lead or you put yourself out there in a leadership role, 
it's all about multitasking. How many things can I fit into one day and get be successful? And today's not that day. <laughs> Why do you think I'm not a teacher anymore? <laughs> right, and and I My just ADHD. you know I have uh, next week's episode is probably going to be even worse. Um, because I'll be still off my meds. Um, but, uh, we're going to try to focus. Uh, but back to that. See, already done it. Squirrel. <laughs> um, I think that was perfect. I, I, I did I did too. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so we're each going to take a cool topic today. I got a listener requested topic that I'm going to cover. And we're going to talk about three places that most of the general public have never heard of. And if they have, they maybe picked up a small bit of it. A tidbit here or there. A tidbit here or there. But we're going to kind of dive into them each. And um, so we're going to, I'm going to talk about Skeleton Lake. Jerry's going to be Definitely. talking about the Overton Bridge. And uh, Brett's going to follow all that up with the Giant's Causeway, which is, all of these are like, how the heck did I not hear about this before? Yeah. You know, how is this not taught in history books or geography class? You know, um, because these are the things that would have been like kept, in my opinion, kept students glued. Like, how does it work? How does it function? What's going on with the dogs? You'll know what that means in a little while. <laughs> um, just crazy. What does this remind you of? The little short segment. Historically, going back. With our podcast, oh, 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 oh. the uh, uh, rapid fire. Oh yeah, Which, rapid fire. Those were when we when we did the news, when we did the headlines. That was my favorite show. Hey, well, my well, the job. rapid fires did pretty good. I remember. Yeah, I remember oh, you guys talking about for it, those that are new to the show and don't know what we're referring to. Steve and I started off doing news based shows, right? And for the first, I don't know, several months we would have a max of two topics per show. Sometimes if it was a big one, we would do one. Most of the time, we each took a topic and we covered that. Yeah. We kept coming across all these small things that we was like, you know, this is good for five or ten minutes, but there's no way we can turn it into half an episode. Right. So we come out with rapid fire. And if it took 30 seconds, it took 30 seconds. If it took 10 minutes, fine. Yeah. But we would cover 10, 15 different topics per show. You and I loved them. Yeah, we loved them because it was diverse. It didn't bog you down in the politics and the. It was just a what the. And we didn't feel so constrained. Yeah, what the hell? What the what hell? The hell? <laughs> and we weren't constrained because before we had to find topics that were big enough, but not too big. Right now, we were able to take anything we wanted, talk about it for thirty seconds or twelve, fifteen minutes. It didn't matter. Yeah. You could work it in. So. Yeah. This kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Yeah, and again, the topics we're talking about tonight, just bizarre. They really are. I mean, what's what's Chat GPT's favorite word, Jerry? Enigmatic. Yeah, all well, three wait, of wait these. A minute. That. That's not just Chat GPT's. That's also, for the, our listeners who don't know, that's also Steve's favorite word. No, no, word. I absolutely hate that word. It's that's, like his, his, uh, it's his moist. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand that word. I would rather someone whisper moist in a moist voice in my ear than say you have whatever that word like is. Moist, moist, that's your wife. <laughs> yeah. Um, Does she listen? 
Yeah, absolutely. Good. Yeah, for those of you uh, who are listening that are not Robin, <laughs> we used to play, uh, I, so my experience is we used to play D&D a lot, and every time Moist came up, we would chant Moist because yeah, on Saturdays. Steve's wife, Robin, hated the word Moist. <laughs> Nothing has changed. Nothing still does. Absolutely. <clears throat> so anyway... Through all that, um, I was going to say something else that was really cool. Oh, that was it. Sorry, focus. I'm trying. I'm trying. Um, we hit last week, and, and we don't talk numbers on the show anymore, but we hit a milestone that Jerry and I never, when we started this, what, a little over a year and a half ago, first of all, wouldn't have thought we'd hit this in a year and a half. I've it's going to be two years. March, late March, I think. May, May I believe. May, okay. I bet double could tell us. But um, I would have never thought in five years we would have got no. here. Not ten. Yeah. Um, last week, we hit over 10,000 downloads. And we have no one to thank but the people that are listening to the show. Absolutely. So I wanted to throw that out there because we absolutely love doing this. I'd probably do it even if we didn't have any listeners, but the fact that our podcast continues to grow by leaps and bounds. and um, I tell that to truly I, all the time. It's like, I don't care if any, if nobody's listening, yeah. I, I would do this. It, it's so much fun. It's, and uh, just so you know, May 11th would be the two year mark. Oh, wow. Look at you go. So I, was, I, was, I, was, I was looking at it just to, cause I, was, yeah. I was curious just to get, I, cause I remember I started listening pretty early. Um, but anyways, that's pretty impressive. You're right. Far closer to a year and a half than the two years that I was thinking we were getting close to. So, okay, if I start, absolutely, please the do. Overton Bridge in Scotland. For those that are not familiar, there's a bridge in Scotland that uh, is called the Overton Bridge. Now, I, obviously, we uh, if we you haven't figured it out by now. Today, I'm going to be taking us on a trip to Scotland to explore the, yes, Steve's favorite word, the enigmatic Overton Bridge and the strange occurrences surrounding it. Tucked away in the village of Milton in West Dunbartonshire, Scotland, is the Overton Bridge. Now, this bridge is an unassuming bridge that was built in the mid to late 1800s over the Overton Burn River, and it has become notorious worldwide for the mysterious animal deaths and the unexplained canine quote-unquote suicides, that's what it seems, that have occurred there since the 1950s. Now, this phenomenon has earned it the grim nicknames the Dog Suicide Bridge and the Bridge of Death. The Overton Bridge was built in 1895 by a local wealthy merchant. His name was John White. He had the bridge constructed on the grounds of his estate, the Overton House, to allow his family Easy access so they could take walks on the other side of the gorge that is over the Overton Burn River. Now, this granite bridge is only about 15 meters long, and it's over a gorge that's approximately 15 meters deep. So, yeah, a little less than 50 feet deep. We'll post a picture of it to the bottom yep. of this episode. We will. And it originally was a carriage driveway for the estate. Now, John White, the, the guy that had this bridge built, he passed away in 1908. And his grieving widow, she lived on the property 
for almost 30 years after he passed away. A local Dunbarton resident, Marion Murray, had this to say, that Miss White's ghost has been lurking around ever since. She's been sighted in windows and walked around the gr- and been seen walking around the grounds. Now, and I just totally lost my place. It's it's a very castleistic looking bridge. It is. I mean, small. It, it's very small, it's but it's very tall. It's not oh, anything oh, yeah. that I would look at and be like, "Well, I want to jump off of that thing." <laughs> I mean, it's got it's over a, a mini gorge, basically. It is. Um, it's, Again, it's, almost 50-foot deep gorge. Yeah, and it's got a gargoyle on either side. It's it's very well done for an 1800s bridge, but, man, yep. I just can't. So animals have just, have just been have, have been sighted jumping off this I'll thing? I'll get to or? it in a minute, but yeah, yeah, over I, 300 dogs have been documented that have left over the side of the bridge. To their death. Well, not, not near all died. Yeah, but over three hundred have been documented that that jumped over. Now it's only fifty foot s- deep. Not all die. And and you said it was fifty foot to the water from this bridge, right? A little less, right? It's Fifteen meters, right? So a little bit less, right? Um, after the death, the Overton estate was sold, and it was later converted into a convalescent home in the late thirties. And the bridge was no longer used as much. But in the fifties is when the strange occurrences began happening. That's when the dogs began suddenly leaping over the bridge's parapet walls, oftentimes to their deaths on the rocks below. Now, these are not accidental falls. The dogs seem to purposefully jump. The first well-documented dog death occurred in the 1950s when a local man was walking his dog across the bridge, and suddenly the dog leaped over the wall and fell under the rocks below. Shockingly, the same man's next dog also jumped to its death two weeks later. Wow. Over the next decades, over 300 cases of dogs jumping over the wall into the ravine have been documented, many of which sadly have ended tragically. Now, the pattern that emerged was eerily specific. Most incidents involved long-snouted breeds like Collies, Labradors, and German Shepherds. Long-snouted meaning what? What would They could smell. Usually have a very good sense of smell. Maybe a clue. Weather conditions tend to be clear. All dogs would normally be happily trotting along beside the runners when they suddenly stopped at one of two spots on the bridge. They would climb the parapet and jump over. Even crazier, some of these dogs were leashed and broke free of their restraints before they jumped. Now, despite investigations, and there have been several different investigations, uh... Despite investigation and attempts to explain this strange phenomenon, no definitive answer has been found. The most common theory is that there is a scent of minks, which are known to inhabit the area in the ravine below, that the dogs smell the scent, coupled with the acoustic effect of the steep walls of the gorge, that it might disorient dogs into believing it is safe to jump. In 2014, canine psychologist David Sands proposed that another factor might be the surrounding foliage, which tends to hide the extremely steep drop-offs. might give the dogs another reason to think that it's safe to jump off. No one knows for sure. Well, I think like both can... of those theories are wrong. What do you think it is? I, throughout history, animals, especially dogs, have been attuned to the afterlife. 
Well, you're getting a little bit ahead of my story, so don't oh, steal all oh, my oh, thunder. I'll shut up then. I'll shut up. Another theory is that the grieving widow, the white lady of Overton, John White's wife, maintains a ghostly presence at the bridge, and she's stirring the dogs into a death frenzy. Another even darker take harkens to a terrible event that happened in 1994. So this wouldn't explain the first 45 years, but in 1994, a 32-year-old paranoid schizophrenic, Kevin Moy, through his own two-year-old baby, Moy, Moy, whom Moy, he was Moy. certain was the Antichrist due to a birthmark on the baby. Again, he's a paranoid schizophrenic. But he threw his two-week-old baby over the side. The baby died. Uh, the father unsuccessfully attempted suicide, and he was declared insane and later committed to an institution. Locals say that dogs in almost every case tend to jump from the same spot that the baby was thrown from. Perhaps they say the terrible ordeal left a supernatural rift of sorts that affects dogs' behavior, alluding to what you just said, that dogs tend to have a sense of uh, connection to the... Kids and babies both. I mean, everybody who studies, you know, the afterlife would agree or tend to agree that children, small children, who haven't developed any thoughts one way or another tend to speak, and I'm using air quotes, with ghosts. Dogs tend to, um, in especially haunted places, tend to, at times, angrily growl at corners or, you know, lovingly wag their tails in a corner, depending on, on what we look like. You know what I'm saying? I, I actually talked about this in our first, the first episode I ever did was we were, we were talking about ghost stories and I had a little uh, cousin who was, he was like three or four at the time. He's, he was seeing what we think is our, was my grandfather. So yeah. I mean, you know, and, and they are more open and perceptive to that. And, you know, in a way, uh, a mental defect like paranoid schizophrenia could also invite that type of response. I mean, you know, now, we, 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 would, we, don't, we don't know, obviously. We if, we, if we did, we would know. I'll buy, I'll buy your theory. And that explains it from 1994 through 2024. No, I'm Care talking to about... to me from right. 50s to 94? I'm so, talking so, about you, Lady Overton. Okay. Do you know how many were bef- so before we 1994? Did they have like a number? I have not been able it's, to find gotcha. any numbers that said by decade. Here's how many. Right. It was. Uh, it's crazy. A large number. I mean, if you if, and, and when you, we, we're going to like I say, we're going to link a picture of this bridge to the bottom of the, the the podcast. But when you see the height, now there's the argument, I'm sure, well, dogs don't see height like we see height, you know, or, you know, they especially would, with the foliage that's grown. Right. Up. But even then, these are dogs that in a lot of cases that have been well behaved, you know, they're out for a run. You don't take a misbehaving dog out for a run. In one documented case, a dog jumped. It did not die. It was hurt. This dog climbed back up the bank and jumped again. Yeah. See, that's oh crazy. Gosh. There's something. There is something supernatural. It didn't say. There's something supernatural about that. A book has actually been written by a local resident. His name is Paul Owens. He uh, wrote a book called The Baron. 
of Rainbow Bridge, the Baron, because the John White that built the estate in the bridge uh, was the Overton, the Baron of Overton. But anyway, uh, he's a teacher of religion and philosophy in Glasgow. He grew up in a town close to the bridge, and he recently published a book about the mystery. When it comes to an explanation for the leaping dogs, he would 100% agree with you. He's firmly in the supernatural camp. After 11 years of research, he says, I'm convinced it's a ghost that is behind all of this. He declared while sitting outside a pub on a drizzly day in Glasgow. Is now, there any other day in Glasgow? Exactly. <laughs> it's kind of no. like Seattle. I think it, yeah. I think it rains there it all rains the time. He, here's my point. Uh, regardless, or another to use another one of Robin's favorite words, Irregardless, <laughs> if you happen to be in the area and you decide to take your dog for a walk, Mm-mm. please have them on a leash. No, how have many them on dogs, a harness. How many dogs does needs to jump off before people in the area stop allowing their dogs to walk in this area without being on a leash? Right. And it's still a very common occurrence. Wow. It's a very common area in this. Oh, still now, nowadays. For people to walk their dogs. So this Jeez. is not a private area? This is a public the place. The road is apparently a public road. So my question is, have you seen those people that take their EMPs, the ghost hunters, of different varieties? There's right. shows and there's, you know, reels and there's TikToks of all these different varieties of ghost hunters. Sure. Have any, has any of them went to this bridge that we're aware of and done any research here at all? Several people have researched this area. I don't know if ghost people, ghost hunters have yeah. there. Just, EMP equipment. There are just so many, and it's affecting, you know, the, the the things that it's affecting the best. The long-snouted, typically bigger dogs, apparently, you know, that I would, I love my dogs. Ramona and Scary, I would, I would just die if I was walking them across the bridge and they, they just jumped. jumped off, yeah. I couldn't yeah. imagine. And, again, with me, I'm left thinking, how many has to jump? Right. Before the local residents say enough, I'm not going to allow my dog to walk in the area. Or if they are, they're going to be on a very secure leash. First of all, you should always be on a harness. It's much safer for the dog. It is. That's your PSA for the day. (laughs) But, wow. I mean, I feel bad when I see a neighbor. We have a neighbor our motorcycle buddies across the street have a big dog that just loves getting out of the fence and then is petrified because she's out of the fence. It's kind of like Harold used to be. And she got out the other day and kept coming toward the road. And kept hearing yeah, especially and I'm like, but it's, road, yeah. you know, it, unfortunately, and, and pit, pit people, please don't hate me, but depending on how that pit was raised by its humans, Pits are either the nicest, most friendly, caring, loving dogs in the world. The vast majority are. Or they will bite your face off. Yeah. There's no literally, in between. Literally. And there's enough of that that I'm just, yeah. and, I don't think the So I'm not going to go to a stranger's pit and try to coax it into my arms Absolutely to not. save it. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things that, you know... I can talk about dogs all night. Have you guys seen the video? And I'm not trying to take away from your time. But the, the video of the guy, he uh, 
he went out. He wanted to show people who drop off their dogs. Apparently, he lives on a farm, and people have been dropping their dogs, and he would take them. He wanted to show the world what a dog will do when its owner drops them. So he had his wife drive up. He hid behind a tree or in a culvert or whatever. She drives off and just shoves the dog out and drives off, like someone who's just dumping a dog would do. Right. And that video is heartbreaking. If you can watch that video and it not physically make you ill of this poor dog going back and forth, back and forth, looking, just no idea what's going on, then you're heartless. Finally, the dog finally smells the owner hiding behind the tree or in the culvert, and its whole demeanor lights up. But for the first three minutes of that video, that dog is petrified. Just, just petrified. When I was... Which, the reason I bring it up is because what's on this bridge that would make a dog who feels that way about their owner jump jump <laughs> into the abyss, basically, as far as a dog goes. Crazy. You're talking about the dogs that get dumped. I'm sure you guys have seen the movie The Incredible Journey. Yeah, yeah. It's the movie where a family moves cross-country. And there are two dogs and a cat, mm-hmm. I think it is, end up following them. Yeah. Oh, wow. When I was... No, seen that. That's based on a true story. Is it? Yeah. I didn't know that or didn't remember it. Here's a true story. When I was uh, 12 or 13, my brother and I got a dog each. Oh. Uh, you ever heard of the book Where the Red Fern Grows? Yeah. My brother named his Dan and mine was Ann. From Big Dan and Little Ann, from the where the red fern grows. My brother used to love to coon hunt. When I was 17 years old, he was uh, out coon hunting one night, and they ran into some other hunters from Lexington, and we lived in down on Lake Cumberland, 100 miles south of Lexington. And the other, some of the other people mentioned about my dog was a very pretty dog. Good coon dogs were worth quite a bit of money. Mine was a horrible coon dog, but we didn't know that. <laughs> we don't know who, but uh, someone stole my dog that night. She didn't come home, and she always come home, always. About six months later, I got off the school bus and come up the driveway to the house, and Ann was laying on the driveway. I have no idea where she was at, who got her. I do know that she had come far enough that her all four paws were a bloody mush. Oh, my oh, God. She had come so far that her paws were just worn out. Wow. So she come home. That's wow. crazy. I, I've never heard a, like, personal story about that stuff. But You come home. That's yep. crazy. That's awesome. So, okay, anything else about the I Overton do not. Bridge? Overton Bridge is done. Sweet. We're ready for Mr. Brett and his exciting <laughs> story. What, man, I was a... That's a tough one to follow. That's a pretty cool story. I don't know if we want to do Brett's because Brett's is bizarre. Brett's is very interesting. I think we'll save yours for. Let me go first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we want to finish on yours. Because it's there's no way that you're going to convince me that's made naturally. <laughs> By lava. <laughs> huh? By lava. <laughs> yeah, that's just not going to yeah. bother. There's just no way. It's not going to convince me. 
I'm going to talk tonight about the unsolved mysteries involving skeleton-like. Um, Eighty years ago, after the Himalayan first captured the world's imagination, and I'm, I'm getting most of my story from the BBC tonight, um, the, mysterious, the mystery continues to confound. Uh, let me go back. And again, guys, I apologize. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm struggle buzzing it today, and the tires are flat. But we're we're, we're trying. Um, uh, at a dizzying height of 4,800 meters in the Indian Himalayas, there is a lake called Rupkund in... Uh, 1942, an Indian forest official said that he reported a bizarre find. The mysterious lake had between 300 and 800 skeletons at the bottom of it. They had met their tragic end, and the mountain find was announced to the public, raising great interest and triggering several investigations that still continue today. Um, my goodness. And this is not an easy lake to get to. It's 50 kilometers from the nearest idyllic Himalayan village. And that's no more than like a small cluster of small homes. It's not like a city by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but anyway, so Rupkund, or the Skeleton Lake, lies 200 meters below the, the ridge, almost straight down. It's, it's literally on the side of a, of a side of a mountain. It's a treacherous, steep climb. And it has, you know, joke, you know, a lot of the hikers joke that eh, one false step and you're going to be the next body in the lake. Um, so let's talk about it. So initially, the skeletons were thought to have belonged to Japanese soldiers or Tibetan traders on the Silk Road who died to either an epidemic or exposure to the elements. But however, in 2004, uh, forensic analysis described the best theory was a group of Indian pilgrims, both men and women, assisted by local porters from the region that were struck by giant hail in a single event in the ninth century. How you can how you can be convinced of that? I don't know. So they concluded that most of the, I guess they, they figured it out by the, the, the injuries to the skulls. They believed to have once been revered, once in, on, on, a, on a revered, I'm sorry, once in a 12-year Hindu pilgrimage called Nad, Nanda Deve Rajatra. How's that for a mouthful? Yeah. You had the guts to attempt it. Yeah. <laughs> It's an ancient tradition that even continues to this day, and Ropekund, or the Skeleton Lake, is on the way to Homekund, the final destination of this arduous foot, foot journey. Arduous on-foot journey. You can't take vehicles back here. Um, 
Now, there's also been reports that these belong to Vikings. There's reports that these were uh, a even somewhat, some people believe that uh, the Mongol uh, Genghis Khan used it as a dumping ground for his enemies. Um, DNA analysis, however, said that it was revered that it was both male and female a wide age range, furthering their thought that it wasn't soldiers, that it was, in fact, you know, trekkers, people that were trying to do this pass. But how did they all end up in the bottom of the lake? That's the question for me. Um, is that just, you know, we have a lot of dead people on Mount, Mount Everest, but they don't, they just leave them. Right. They don't move them. They just, you know. I mean, I guess if you came across a dead body, I mean, what would you do with it? Like, would you, like, just leave it there, or would you try and toss it over? Well, on Mount Mount Everest, as an example, most of the time, if you come across a dead body, they're frozen. Yeah. And it's more treacherous for you to, to try, try to move it, it yeah. to try to rescue the body. That's why they leave them. Now, they have removed a bunch Recently, as technology's gotten better, but we're talking, you know, the ninth century when these skeletons went in the water. Another possibility. This area freezes in the middle of the winter. Right. So they could have died on top of the ice and simply sank when it All out. in the same spot? Well, I mean, they were together, right? There was a group. Apparently a hailstorm. I'm just throwing out a possible theory yeah. of how they ended up in the bottom of the lake. Wow. It is a weird spot. It's one it of those is. spots, you know, we cover a lot of weirdness. This is a spot I wouldn't want to go see. First of all, it's cold. We live in a spot that sometimes, at least two months of the year, the cold hurts my face. I don't, I don't like that. I'm sure not going to go visit an area where that's most of the time. The genomic and biomolecular analysis uh, was sent to 16 different labs in 2019. And that study said that 38 skeletons belonged to three genetically distinct groups and were deposited, deposited in the lake at multiple events over a thousand-year period. There was a South Asian group particularly those bones were deposited between the 7th and 10th century in multiple events. The team also found a new group of individuals of Mediterranean ancestry. Thank you. Good gravy, my brain. <laughs> Originating from the island of Crete, who died in the 19th century during a single event, maybe the hailstorm. Uh, there was also one sample that had Southeast Asian origin, origin, excuse me, from the 19th century. Surprised by the anomalous finding of that, they then did a dietary analysis to see if the it supported the results of the DNA analysis, and it did. Um, so basically, the DNA made it even more complex. And even more deep in the mystery, because now it's not a single event for all 300. It's multiple events over the course of a thousand years. So 
before we had ceremonial burial, you think they just dumped them in the lake? Could have been that. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. That many? That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people to take out and dump in the middle of the lake. That's a long way to go to to just dump a body. Again, I, I could see it much more that, <coughs> excuse me, if that was the case, that it happened when it was frozen and they simply fell when the ice thawed. But see, here's the thing. <coughs> when they started pulling out and examining the bodies or the, the skeletons, there was only six or seven that had any <coughs> any unfortunate causes or bad causes related to hell damage. So that original forensic analysis, they just <coughs> took, you know, a couple of yeah. Yeah, there was, you know, it wasn't a, you know, I can understand if they're in a tribe. We covered the uh, incident in Russia where we believe that, you know, there was a possibility a Yeti came through and <coughs> scared everybody. I remember and, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that makes more sense. But that definitely, the fact that only six or seven, you know, if there's a whole village camped out there and this huge hailstorm comes up and you've got a tent, okay, maybe that happens in a freak accident. Six or seven out of 300? Right. No, thank you. I ain't buying. I'm also not buying the fact that this becomes a dumping ground for dead people. It's too far, too remote. <laughs> and you have multiple different countries or ethnicities doing it. I, I'm not buying it. What's your thought? Yeah, I, I would I would I would tend to agree. It it seems kind of uh seems kind of strange. A little suspect huh? Well the good news is we are in agreement with the scientific community for once. Nobody oh, wow, really yeah nobody has any idea. The <laughs> DNA <good>. evidence <laughs> and the fact that only seven people actually had Physical, provable hail damage has left the scientific community scratching their heads. They have no clue. Has there been any uh, like recent missing people that have gone through that area? Or I mean, this is all happening back in the ninth and tenth and okay, so this is like 18th. a long time ago. Yeah, the eighteenth, all the way up to the eighteenth century. So no recents, right? <laughs> And we didn't really write those things down back in the day, so just weird. That is weird, yeah. Just strange and weird, and, you know, I I, I don't have an explanation. You know, had, had it been proven through time, okay, the local village, and everyone was familiar with the local villages, and all the local villages used it as a dump site, and everyone was of the same origin. Okay, that makes sense. We do that today in cemeteries, except we bury the folk. A lake could be used for that, especially one that freezes over. They're not going to do that. Locals are not going to take a ton of bodies and dump it in the lake. Which could be used as a water source. Exactly. Would be used by some of the animals as a water source. You're not going to contaminate a large body of right. water. Like that. Right. He's not gonna do it. Even even back in the day in the American West, we would drink we would we would drink downstream of the horses because we wanted the horses to make sure the water was clean. 
We're not going to contaminate our animals, which are more prized than sometimes our children. The locals wouldn't have dumped. Right. If they were dumped, it was by some other group that wasn't locals that didn't care if they contaminated the body of water. Right. Just crazy. It is. It's so bizarre. But you know what? It reminds me of the bridge incident a little bit. Somewhere along the line, I don't need to figure out what went on here. I've already figured out enough to know I'm going to stay away from this. We're avoiding this place. (laughs) This is a place to avoid. I don't want to go. There's fortunately, um, if you would like to go visit this place, you can. You have to hire someone very specific. And we're going to, I'm going to, the picture of how isolated this lake is. I'm going to post it as well. So we're going to have a picture of the bridge and this and what you're going to talk about uh, all at the bottom of the webs, you know, of, of the podcast, because a lot of these, you really need to see the visual. This is not, you know, when I'm saying lake, it's more like a big pond. It's, it, it's very, you know, if you had something like the size of, you know, Lake Michigan, eh, 300 bodies ain't nothing. Yeah. This is like the size of a, Excuse me, a rather large farm pond. <laughs> Seldom more than 40 meters in diameter. Right, right. Across yeah. It. You know, I've, I've swam in cow ponds that were smaller, bigger than that. <laughs> That's crazy, yeah. That's like 300 plus bodies. Insane. It's a lot of bodies. It is a lot of bodies. So, Brett, the suspense is built. <laughs> I wish you didn't build up too much. You get you get to save the show. Oof. How are you feeling about that pressure? I'm feeling good. So where are we, where are we traveling to? So we're uh, we're traveling very close to where Jerry was, Ooh. just right over the the pond over in Northern Ireland. So uh, what I was going to talk about is a place called Giant Giant's Causeway. And it's somewhere that I've actually visited. So I've actually been to this place. I went back in 2018. Sweet. Me and my wife, we went to uh, England, Scotland, and Ireland for a big uh, couple-week honeymoon. And so I, I went to this place. Uh, it was incredible. Uh, I just, it's, it's... She didn't leave you there either? She did not. She, luckily, she did not leave me there. But uh, we were on a tour, so I, I feel like the tour guide would have at least got me back to the Airbnb. But so... Giant's Causeway, again, this is, is something that, just like they were saying, if, if you don't see the picture, it doesn't really do it justice, but I will do my best. Um, so it's an area of about 40,000 interlocking basalt uh, columns that's located in the north coast of Northern Ireland. Um, in a 2005 poll of Radio Times readers, uh, Giant's Causeway was named the fourth greatest natural wonder in the United Kingdom. Um, the tops of the columns form stepping stones that lead from the cliff foot and disappear under the sea. So most of the he- most of the columns are hexagonal, uh, although some of them have four, five, seven, or eight sides. <laughs> uh, the tallest uh, the tallest of these stones are about 12 meters, which is approximately uh, 39 feet high. Uh, so the leading theory of these of, of this uh, uh, formation is that uh, lava had slowly solidified into these uh, into this shape <laughs> over time. Um, shapes. 
right, shapes, right, yeah, thousands um, upon thousands and, of, and I'll kind of get into it with the with the whole like Irish folklore about what how this originated, but um, there's I can actually tell you I disagree with all of it. Yeah, there's actually an identical, <laughs> uh, there's an identical area just right right across the ocean in Scotland um, that has the exact same formations. Um, this was first documented in 1693. Um, the, the formation has been intensively studied by geologists. Um, its coastal environments were um, bequeathed by the National Trust, which is a British organization that promotes the preservation of natural and architectural wonders. That was in 1961. Um, since then, the site was extended to some 200 acres. It was, de- it was designated a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1986, uh, and currently is, is protected for not only its beauty, but its cliffs, seashores, marshes, and grasslands. So it's one of the most popular tourist attractions in Northern Ireland. Uh, it received over 998,000 visitors in 2019. A million visitors. So, getting into the legend... Uh, that is the Giant's Causeway. So, according to legend, the columns are the remains of a causeway built by a giant. The story goes that the the Irish giant uh, Finn McCool, from the Fenninian cycle of Gaelic mythology, was challenged but to a fight by the Scottish giant Finnan Donner. Uh, Finn accepted the challenge and built the causeway across North, the North Channel so that the two could meet. In one version of the story, Finn defeats Ben and Donner, and another Finn hides from Ben and Donner when he realizes that his foe is much bigger than he is. This is actually this that's the the version that I heard whenever I was on this tour. Um it uh Finn's wife, uh Sadba, uh disguises Finn as a baby and tucks him in a cradle. When Ben and Donner sees the size of the baby, he recognizes that its father, Finn, <laughs> must be a giant among giants. He flees back to Scotland in fright, destroying the causeway behind him so that Finn would be unable to chase him down. Across the sea, there are identical basalt columns, a part of the same ancient lava flow. Again, this is, this is what uh, Wikipedia is claiming is, is happening here. Uh, at, at Fingal's Cave on the Scottish Isle of Staffa, and it's possible that the story was influenced by this. So, I just wanted to go ahead and say there's no surviving pre-Christian stories about the Giant's Causeway. But it may have originally been associated with uh, the Fomorians, um, the I- which is an Irish name. Uh, means stepping stone of the the Fomorig. <laughs> uh, so, they are a race of mythological beings in Irish mythology, who are sometimes described as giants. The only problem with some of these arguments is when you, uh, first of all, I digress. Wikipedia is nice enough to give the exact coordinates. So if you go to Google Maps, you can type in the coordinates, and you can pull it up and see exactly where it is. This doesn't lead anywhere. If one giant wanted to fight another giant... Okay, I, I, I get the idea. And by the way, as stupid as this argument is, I don't have a better one. So I'm not, I mean, we, I may end up saying it's probably the freaking Giants. 
But when you go to this, it's a huge area and it doesn't lead anywhere. So the idea, I I mean, it's simply a bunch of people doing what they used to do in history when they didn't have a better explanation. They try to come up with something something up. And again, I don't have a better one, but I can tell you from looking at the coordinates, this was not meant to go from one area to another. It was not a a long, skinny passageway. It's a round area on the end of an island that leads nowhere. And, you know, here's the other part of that. First of all, you have to buy into the fact that Nephilim were for real, right? We're not even there yet. We don't even know. But they say, even today, that if all humanity stops today, the only thing in 100,000 years that's ever going to be even remotely can be attributed to that we were even here would be things like Mount Rushmore, which was made in granite. Yeah. And that's it. Everything else that we've created, except maybe an underground bunker here or there that's gotten grown over, would be gone. This, when you see the pictures... We'll be here. We'll be here. Absolutely. And how... there's You're, you're not going to convince me. It would take a whole lot of convincing to convince me that this is a natural formation of lava. That's flow. not a that's not formed in any other part of the world. Like Hawaii has lava all the time. All over the place. Iceland has lava. I don't believe lava. in giants. I don't believe in the myth. Yeah. I, I, I don't but either. I believe this theory a whole lot better than I do that it was created from lava. Yeah. It, yeah. It's it's and like I have seen it firsthand. I climbed up the of these rocks. It, it's just like it's it's literally unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. Jerry. Yes. Is there any chance, just follow me here, that this is on the direct opposite of Earth of Easter Island? Not even close. Okay. Well, I was just thinking because in Easter Island, we have a bunch of heads sticking out of the dirt. And when they started, when they started excavating that, they have whole bodies. I don't know if this was maybe the toes and the hair follicles going through, because a lot of people say that Stonehenge is, is part of Easter Island that goes through the center of the earth. Oh, that's pretty close to this. So. <laughs> uh, that's just crazy. I didn't mean to cut you off, Brett. You still no, have time, man. Go tell us some more about it. So, anyways, they were just there's just theories that these. Um, that it may have originally been associated with the Fermerians, uh, which was uh, another form of Irish folklore. Uh, basically, uh, these were a race of mythological beings in Irish mythology who were sometimes described as giants um, and who may have been originally part of a pre-Christian pantheon. Um, they were a supernatural race in Irish, Irish mythology who were often portrayed as hostile. Um, they originally were said to come from under the sea or the earth. Uh, later, they were portrayed as sea raiders and giants, and they were enemies of the Ireland's or of Ireland's first settlers. So, anyways, this was just another kind of just diving into the the original legend of of how these were made and according to Irish uh, folklore. But yeah, when you look at these, when you see them, I, I mean, even just in pictures, you don't really have to see them in person. Um, you can. This is not naturally. Formed. And I would strongly encourage any listener who's 
in the least bit interested to do exactly that. Google it. Look at some of these pictures. It's um, it's incredible. And the, the, yeah, the fact that it just forms pillars, just like just perfect. I mean, it's like I got pictures of just standing of, on these things. This is crazy. It what, reminds me of if you've ever watched these the seventies and eighties um, movies of Superman with Christopher Reeves, his ice palace. That he lived in. Yeah, yeah. That's what it looks like. It does. Except it's made out of stone. Yeah. The average column diameter, what would you guess it to be? A foot? Somewhere between 10 and 18 inches? Yeah, yeah. And there's 40,000 of them. Right. Jeez. The majority of them in perfect geometric shapes. Four-sided, five-sided, six, seven, eight-sided. Yeah. And they tell us that it occurred naturally from lava. I mean, if you just look at that, day, how lava forms. <laughs> you, we yeah. see it in Hawaii, like you, like you were saying. Let me pose to you gentlemen another theory. Sure. And it's one that I'm beginning to buy into more and more is the deeper rabbit holes that I find. Uh, apologize for Ramona and Skitty, they're fighting. Um, so, what do you guys, first of all, there is strong, and I'm going to shift gears just real quick. There's strong evidence that the Sphinx, at least part of one or two of the pyramids, was underwater at some point, which predates anything that official Egyptologists believe, right? There's also, we covered a long time ago, Gobekli Tepe, which changed the timeline of human um, civilization changed the timeline of human interaction with our environment. We we weren't you know for we were raised all believing that we were hunters and gatherers until ten thousand years ago. Well, Gobekli Tepe was built twenty five thousand years ago, so we had some understanding of of uh, um, temples and religion and civilization way before they ever thought. So what if these were made part of a different generation of people that we don't even know existed? And more and more people are beginning to believe that there were several great civilizations that (laughs) happened before the Great Flood, before the, the young dry ass. This is one of those things that I think helped prove that. I can't remember how many. I think it was like millions of years old that they determined this yeah. structure. Is. I mean, yeah, I would support that theory. If, you know, there's I normally it, don't agree with a lot of your conspiracy theories. <laughs> I will say this. That would have happened a thousand times over before this was formed from volcanic and free-flowing lava. Right. I, I would absolutely agree. So anyway. Let's let's wrap this up. Um, the Giants Causeway needs more news coverage. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thumbs up. Yeah, on I, would, that I would agree as well. Just amazing. Absolutely. If only the news coverage develops more research into it, and and more o- opens our eyes to the possibility that there were great human civilizations, the Incas. For many years, we're thought to be, you know, South American Indians who were barely able to communicate. 
And we our LIDAR has already shown super highways between the cities that is just waiting there under the jungle for us to find. And that most of the jungle is man-made or man-began that's just gone wild. Yeah. Absolutely. Thumbs up on this one for me. Brett, you said thumbs yeah, up? Yeah, I would, I would agree. Thumbs up. Three for three. Three for three, a thumbs up. What about Overton Bridge and the mystery that goes with that? I just would say thumbs your, up. Just don't your take dogs your dogs with, there. Yes. I mean, like, <laughs> For that reason, it needs some more coverage. Like, yeah. And hey, at uh, least some warning signs. Yeah, exactly. Just say, your dog might jump off of this bridge. Just say it. <laughs> Please. We've got a little bit of evidence. Hold so. your animal. You know, I, I agree. Three thumbs up on Overton Bridge. And finally... The mystery surrounding Skeleton Lake. I would agree just with the fact that I've never heard of it. Like, I, if I had, like, went to that place and was like, oh, that sounds cool. Like, I never would have known that that was even a thing. So, yeah, I would say a thumbs up for me. So would I. Oh, absolutely. Thumbs up to just say, stay the hell away. Yeah. Hey, and, there's, a, there's and, 300 dead bodies in this you know, lake. <laughs> it's bizarre that in, the thing that about Skeleton Lake that really is bizarre to me and that's crazy to me is in today's world where we are so smart with our 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 technology, we can't figure out what actually killed these folks before they went into the lake. We guess that seven of them had some hail damage and that they come from at least three completely uh geography-related different ancestries. And from at least two different, vastly different time periods, a thousand years apart. Yeah. At least two. Just crazy to me. And like you say, Jerry, no one's using this as a cemetery (laughs) because it's a opportunity for fresh water in an otherwise very harsh environment. Crazy. So three thumbs up all the way around. I don't think we've ever done that. Probably not. Good job, gentlemen. Good job. Man, that episode is really interesting. And if you'll stick around for us for just a few commercials, we have another great story to tell you. Hi, this is Ed Locke with USA Mortgage. When it comes to buying a home, the process can be overwhelming and confusing. With so many options, it can be hard to know where to start. That's why it's important to work with a certified mortgage loan originator. I have the knowledge and expertise to guide you through the process and find the best mortgage option for you. I will work with you every step of the way to ensure that you are getting the best deal possible. So if you're looking to purchase or refinance, please reach out to me at 502-680-0953. So don't take on the stress of buying a home alone. Work with me and I will make your dream a reality. Trust the professionals and make your home buying experience a positive one. MLS ID 448908, DAS Acquisition Company, LLC, doing business as USA Mortgage, MLS ID 227262. This is not a commitment to lend. Additional terms and conditions apply. USA Mortgage is equal housing opportunity. If you want us to review or rate your product on air, if you have suggestions for new episodes, awesome ghost stories, or anything else, please reach out to us. Our email address is newsworthywithstevenjerry at gmail.com. Our text number is area code 540-709-1318. And now, back to the story. So I came upon this story slash prayer. And I don't know if you're going through something and maybe wondering why, 
But are you asking God, what is the question? What is my purpose? But I think this will give you hope, some joy, and maybe some peace. A pastor asked an old farmer decked out in bib overhauls once to say grace for the morning breakfast. The old farmer started, Lord, I hate buttermilk. The opening, the visiting pastor opened an eye and glanced at the farmer, wondered where this was going, and the farmer loudly proclaimed, And Lord, you know I hate lard. Now the pastor was growing concerned, and without missing a beat, the farmer continued, And Lord, you know I don't care much for raw white flour. Now the pastor was really concerned. Once again opened an eye and glanced around the room, and saw that he wasn't the only one to feel uncomfortable. Then the farmer added, But Lord, when you mix them all together and bake them, I sure do love me some fresh, warm biscuits. So Lord, when things come up that we don't like, when life gets hard, when we don't understand what you're saying to us, help us just relax and wait until you're done mixing. It'll probably be even better than those awesome warm biscuits. Amen. And Jerry, if you can't see the light, be the light.